How are you feeling? Um, I'm certainly feeling better than I was Thursday and Friday. Um, and the way that you can tell that's true is because you can hear my voice. Thursday and Friday, I had no voice. Yeah, now it's... Now it's just a uh, slightly Bacall-esque. You think that adds some gravity? Yeah. I've got some vocal fry. <laughs> is that is that what that is? Yeah. Okay. Vocal fry. Now let's let's start. I mean, first of all, with fry it up in a pound. I wish we could talk about your whole the whole series of of medical issues you've been through. I think we can. <clears throat> and not just me. I don't know. You know, our circle of friends. We're all basically falling apart. Really, I, mean, I didn't know about. Oh this. my god! There's there's medical stuff. Uh, our medical cup overflows. Hmm. Okay, well, let me put that aside and just say that in, in addition to this saga, this journey that you've been on, this yeah. medical journey, <clears throat> yep, you won a major award. Major award. Unbeknownst to you. Oh, I won a prize. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I that, guess it's not an award, but yeah. you were awarded a prize. I was awarded a prize. Okay, so let's, people um, are going to want to hear about this. And, uh, and it was, uh, I did not know that when I ordered some foreign currency to take a trip with, that uh, online that I would be entered into this drawing for a prize, but I was, mm-hmm. and the prize was an Apple Watch. And you're wearing it right which now, which I'm aren't wearing. You? Yeah, and it's doing its Apple Watchy thing. Huh. So it may beep. <laughs> I don't know how to mute it. <laughs> you, d- you don't know how to mute it? I, I'm there's there's a there's an app for the watch on the phone, and I'm sure there's a way in there to mute the watch. Oh, I, there's not anything on the, there's got to be something on the watch to make it. Maybe. Tell it, don't make any noise. Yeah, probably somewhere. Yeah. I, I don't want any of my devices ever to make any noise ever. Okay. Yeah. Good. Unless I tell them, make noise. You know. Now. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so that's interesting. <clears throat> yeah. So I got this Apple watch. And, and do you know, was this a lucky, this must've been lucky. I mean, do you know how many people got these? I mean, this was a well. Uh, oh, no, one. I mean, there was a grand prize, and the mm-hmm. prize grand prize was an Apple Watch. So you won I, the grand. Prize. I am the recipient of the Apple Watch. Now, did you play the Powerball last week? Um, I did on the theory that um, <laughs> did. I did on the theory that having won the watch <laughs> was an. <laughs> you did not. I did was you an. Did. Indi- I did. That's no theory. You no. Didn't. This is. I you're did. just trying to. You're just trying to get my goat. I am not. Uh, you, you actually bought a ticket. I, I did. Uh, and, uh, and it, it, you can, on a single ticket, you could get five. Yeah. Uh, and I have the, I, I, uh, <laughs> how many sets of numbers? Did you choose your own numbers or no, you... no, 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 no. It's very, see, I think there's a real important uh, principle at stake here, which okay. is that, um, the way that you get the numbers ought to match the way you, uh, that the drawing numbers are, oh are my God. so you, uh, you need to match randomness to randomness oh to get them to <laughs> to get them to synchronize and harmonize and so you're, i do the quick you're just trolling rhythm. now you're just trolling uh, me <laughs> just telling you what i do so oh i bought the ticket <clears throat> and it had five so it had five drawings on so it was a, the ten dollar ticket <laughs> and that did the quick pick so it it picks the numbers for you which yeah. makes the methodology match which makes a win it more likely yeah and then the uh, the fact that I had won the Apple Watch also made a win more likely. <laughs> nope. No, <laughs> it didn't. Having said all that, I acknowledge that the, of course, the chance of winning was very, very small to begin with. So, having increased it, still was not enough to win me anything. You know, listener Barbara, who's been on here before. So I soaked up all my winning energy. Was <laughs> w- actually got got pulled into the watch. Listener Barbara plays the lottery. Okay. Um, 
She's I also almost known, never do. Also this, known as li- listener mom. This was a special occasion in my mind. And we have conversation. And now I see, I recognize. So when I was a math undergrad, there was one professor who encouraged everybody to play the lottery all the time and oh. to remember him when they did. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but uh, so, so I, I, I feel bad, I, you know, but she's my own mother, so I can't encourage her to play the lottery in good conscience. Okay. I, I encourage all of our listeners to play the lottery and to keep oral argument in your, in your thoughts. Yeah. And, and most importantly, in your wills. <laughs> or at least in, in, your, in, in your living wills, living bequests, whatever. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to, you don't have to die to make a donation. So why do, you, why do you, I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. Are you, but, are you troubled by the fact that I bought a lottery ticket? No, I'm not troubled. I mean, you know, it's, people, I mean, I must never, I must people waste never money do. all the time it's, on it's things. It's the first truer and it's, uh, it's the first one I bought in probably 15 years. But yeah. having just won what? the watch and having the Powerball be so big, it was basically like, how could you not do it? I can think of many ways. You, you just don't do it. You uh, just don't well, do it. You got to be in it to win it. That's the, that's the problem. <laughs> that's, see, this is what my mom says. You can't, you know, I tell her that, that her chances are the same whether she plays or not. Look, the chances of winning are certainly zero if you don't buy a ticket. They are zero if you do buy a ticket. Close, but not, actually. Well, I mean, as close as you would, as close an approximation, as, as close an approximation as zero as you would use for many, many other purposes. In That's your life. quite true. That is quite true. So basically your chances are zero. In fact, I tell my mom, why play it when you're, when you can also win by finding on the side of the road a winning lottery ticket? Oh, that seems, that seems like a bit of a stretch, right? It does. I mean, that, that it would be, that it would be the winning numbers and that you would find it on the sidewalk. I mean, that's the conjunction of those two probabilities. So then I, so then I tell her, right, so if, right? you, if you're going to so play, less likely. if you're going to play, Please play by buying the numbers one, two, three, four, five, six. Well, that's just silly. Why? It's got two, at least two problems. First okay. of all, all right. That's a, that's a fairly ugly series. Second of all, <laughs> um, it hasn't been it hasn't been made to sort of vibrate with the frequency of the winning number at all. Like Do it's you, done. You've done nothing. <laughs> To try to leverage a harmonic connection. <laughs> do you have a set of crystals that you use when you, <laughs> I, I when you make rubbed, major decisions? I rub no crystals. <laughs> I, 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 are you in a fugue? Are you on some kind of pain medications <laughs> or something? Vibrating with them. This is the kind of thing that you would expect out of me, I think. The difference between you and me, oh right boy. here and oh right boy. now, okay. is that I want to watch and you haven't won diddly squat. Mm. So I think, I think people ought to put a lot more <laughs> stock in what I say about an approach to winning than Wait, what you said. Did you enter the did you didn't do anything to enter the drawing for the watch? That's that's not true. I I made the purchase. You were unaware when you made the purchase that you were entering different something. Different issue, right? No. You said did I do anything to enter and the no. answer is did, yes. Did, did I you, know I was doing it? The answer is no. Did you do no. anything in order to enter? Yes. No. I, I, you yes. did nothing for the purposes of for the purpose of entering. The fact that you entered a contest played no role in your decision whether to do what you did. You didn't even yeah, know there was a, a contest. That's a fair point. Right. Did, did I do something that caused me to win? Yeah. I bought the currency online. Well, so, but in the same sense that you could have won by not going to that website, but through some kind of glitch or malfunction, being confused with someone who did, and then you would have, and still winning. Uh, like you could have won through some mistake. But they, and, and, and but they would have relative found, to your I, mental no, 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 state, no, no, it would have no, been exactly have the same thing. Mistake. I of course not, you could have. I would not have accepted it if I'd won by mistake. Well, that's a further decision you'd have to make. But that's not a real win. If, if, they, if they contact me and say, <laughs> you won it in the drawing, and I say, well, wait a minute, I wasn't in the drawing because I didn't make a purchase at your website, they would say, ah, so you didn't really win. 
Is this what people tune in for? I don't, well, we've gotten mixed. <laughs> we had at least one iTunes review which says, absolutely not, this is not what we tune in for. Oh, and then we boy. have other people who I think say, yeah, this is what we tune in for. Well, I'm enjoying, well, I'm enjoying, the, uh, I'm enjoying the, uh, the watch. Yeah. And uh, I would not have bought it. I had no plan to buy one. But it's sort of fun. Okay, so just to, to cut off potential feedback on the lottery numbers thing. Okay. One, two, three, four, five, six, of course, is as likely to win as any other set of numbers. And the fact that it is... Strictly sp- speaking, yeah. The, the fact that it strikes you as very unlikely should be telling you something. On the other hand, <laughs> uh, a series like that, a uh, sequence like that might be, you know, your chance that someone else played those numbers might be high because they are, they, they have some psychological resonance. And therefore, you may have a greater chance of having to share the prize if you do win. So your expectation actually might be higher with a truly random sequence than anything that you could come up with. Because the chances, if you come up with it, somebody else probably does too. On the other hand, I think the does likely- anybody play 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6? I think the likelihood that you're going to share, if you went on 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, the likelihood you're going to share is very low. Because that is, the, that is such a revolting series <laughs> of numbers. But the, the, to bring oneself to buy it is just the uh, strains credulity. Was there, I forget what this one, there have been lotteries before where the prize has gotten to be so big that there has been a positive expectation if you buy enough tickets. And I forget. Oh. Have you heard about that before? No. So it, it gets to be a certain point and then like massive investments start to seem reasonable if you have a lot of st- money to play with. Ooh. But you have to buy millions of tickets right. or, yeah, anyway. Um, okay. So that's. I think, is that the end of our lottery segment? Of uh, The end of our sweepstakes segment? It is, it is. I did of, not win the Powerball. We should have some kind of prize on here. Oh, okay. Don't you think we should have yeah, something? It about- is, I, I'm not giving away my Apple Watch. <laughs> because I now have, what do they call that? Where you, someone will demand more uh, in exchange for a thing that's been given to them than they would pay yeah, they, to get they it. They call this endowment the, effect. They call yeah. this the endowment effect. And my, my good but friend. some people speculate it's not real. Yeah, and, my good yeah. friend Greg and, and Kathy Zyler wrote a piece about this, about how the endowment effect has st- started to stand for stuff that it didn't truly mean. And right. they call it endowment theory. It's really quite interesting. But uh, you'll have to pry this Apple Watch out of my cold dead. Which... <laughs> Which could happen. It could, I mean, it could have happened this weekend. My health is declining. Yeah. <laughs> because of Joe's uh, physical state, we almost didn't get to record it all this week. That's true. But you've gone the extra mile for the listeners. And what are we going to say? No complaints. <laughs> right? Like, we're, in, in some sense, I feel lucky that you're here at all. Now, and our I've, listeners, they shouldn't, like, you know, it's not like, uh, I'm not saying they should feel that they have some sense of entitlement they shouldn't have. I mean, they they could hit pause. This is not what I want to hear, they could say. Right. That's, a, that's And I feel lucky to be here, too, because it's great I to be here and hang me, out and have fun. Yeah, for me, I'm, I feel lucky that you're here at all. Well, thank you. And it was your suggestion, actually, that this week we go through some of the feedback that we have We've received neglected. a lot of feedback over the last many weeks, and we really haven't had a chance to talk about. Do you want to start with this one from listener Grant? Absolutely. What did Grant say? So he, he wrote about the Splunkian Explorers. This is Hems part one and two, mm. the two episodes that we did on kind of theories of law, law and philosophy, and uh, in particular, Lon Fuller's Splunkian Explorers. We didn't actually like discuss that piece, but we used that. We used the conceit of that. Piece. We used the conceit of it as a chance for the two of us to kind of talk. Right. Before I proceed to the portion of this feedback that it most accurately be described as criticism, let me preface it by saying I thought this was a great episode. Yay. And I'm thinking to myself, oh boy. <laughs> Wait for it. Here it comes, right? <laughs> what did you think of this feedback? Do you, how would you summarize what, what Grant had to say? I mean, I think the spirit of his remark was that, uh, and he points out some specific uh, provisions in the model penal code and some other specific materials that, uh, like the case of Regina against Dudley and Stevens, this is a case that many point to as a 
a sort of a real life event that the Spelunkian explorers mirrors in some way. That uh, the case, uh, the Regina against Dudley and Stephen case, uh, happened at sea. They were people lost at sea, not uh, in a cave. But um, so, so his suggestion seems to be that if we had talked about those specific things, maybe it would have gone better. Like maybe we would have gotten a different texture. Well, he he's he's and objecting a deeper, a sort of a deeper take on things. I'm not sure. Well, he's pushing on it because you know part of the so this is the one where the explorers are are trapped in a cave and with nothing to eat, and the the rescue won't come for a while, and they'll have to eat if if they want to survive. If they don't want all of them to die, they'll have to eat one of them. Yeah, right? yeah. So the, yeah, that was that was the hypo. You have to choose from among their number, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they so they do. They can't get guidance from the outside. Um clearly saying whether this is legal or illegal or right or wrong. And so they make their own choice. And then when they get out, they're prosecuted for murder. And then the question is, you know, what should the court do? And then we have a bunch of different opinions by different uh, judges in this hypo, this, that kind of majestic hypo that Fuller does. I mean, it's elaborate, like each of these opinions representing a different, no, it's a remarkable philosophy. Grant is kind of taking issue with your, uh, partly with, with your, uh, the way I was pushing you on it and your response. So I was, asking you, what should the court do? Because the law says there are, basically, there are no exceptions which are relevant to the conduct here. Right? And that's, that's actually Fuller's hypo, that there are no exceptions in the statute which are yeah. relevant uh, that would be covered here, even self-defense maybe. Um, and, and you say the judge should nonetheless not convict because all rules are defeasible. Grant's response here is that he doesn't think that you need due process or some other vague doctrine in order to achieve that objective. Um, but instead he says it's usually accomplished by statute. Legislature, legislatures recognize a myriad of situations may occur that they can't contemplate when writing a statute. He says the statute likely won't achieve just outcomes for some of these exceptional situations. So they write general overriding statutes to inject flexibility into almost the entire criminal code. He says, I understand the hypothetical statute itself didn't provide an exception that covered the splunkers, but there's a pretty good chance another statute within that hypo's criminal code would have. So, so he is fighting the hypo. True. As I did, uh, in a way, um, with, and, and I had a lot of questions for you in the way that you framed it, but it, I, I would say that this, uh, a statute like that is an embodiment of the recognition of the accuracy of what I said, which is that the due process norm has, as part of it, part of its substance, the fairness substance of it, mm-hmm. requires that sort of escape hatch right. to prevent doing an injustice when an unanticipated situation arises. The absurdity, right. can't, you know, the absurdity doctrine works this way as well and statutory interpretation. Right. The, the point of, the it's point all driving of, at the same thing. The point of the assumption here is not to assert that real legislatures would, 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 would create an ironclad non-escape hatch type code, right? It's to kind of figure out what the reasons are to depart from the language of a statute. So the point of the hypo, right, is that there is no escape hatch in the code. It doesn't have any, it, right. you know, and, as you read it. So if, and if my observation was simply there doesn't need to be one in the code because the, in the person of the judges who are, who are empowered to hear these cases, right. part and parcel of the judicial role right. is taking into account the fact that the code may be silent on this point. Nevertheless, justice in this dispute requires right. that it be approached in a certain way. And, and the, whole, the whole discussion is, is and of course trying the to get at what the source. the empowering of the judges is also part of that code. Right. The whole point is to get at what the source of the exercise of mercy here is, right? It, is, it that, is it 
do we, is it that we think that any code must contain this, right? So that it, that somewhere you can find that, well, let's suppose it's not in the code anywhere. Let's suppose there's nothing written in the code that could be um, interpreted this way. Yeah. Is it inevitably in the constitution? So you assume there's some constitution with vague language that you can use for this purpose. Yeah. And quite, so is it the constitution that's the source of the authority or is there something else? And you're kind of positing that there's something implicit in adjudication in, so in cultural situations we can imagine. That has this effect, right? Yes, and I, I would, I would, I might go so far as to say, it is difficult for me to imagine people being willing to live in a body politic that refuses to recognize that that principle needs to reside somewhere in the system. The principle that, because generally stated rules can be under inclusive or over inclusive in radically unfair ways. That there has to be a way for the system somewhere. There has to be some institutional mm-hmm. actor who can recognize, oops, we're looking at one of those situations now. We need to do something different. Mm-hmm. I think people who fully appreciated they were living in a system that said, nope, no, nope, nope, that doesn't exist anywhere, would say, no, that's, there's something wrong with that. That's a defective institutional of arrangement. Course, Fuller makes the article more interesting by assuming the availability of executive pardon or executive. Um, commutation of the sentence, and then he throws in, and, and the in one of the last opinions, um, one of one of the judges actually mentions that like his his niece knows the secretary <laughs> of the of the executive, right. and the executive is definitely not going to right. commute because the executive is nuts, et cetera. So, yeah. like, what do you do with the fact that you think justice requires? some mercy here or at least some exception. Mercy may be the wrong word because you Maybe. you don't think they did anything wrongful as as one of the judges right. here doesn't think any crime was committed, right. right? So what do you do with that when when the legal system gives at least to one actor the power to do the kind of to make the kind of d- decision you're you're urging Joe, but in fact that that you have information that that actor won't exercise that power that way. Does that justify just any other institution to exercise that power? I mean, there are also dangers, of course, involved in the fact that this exists, right? The fact that an escape hatch exists is itself potentially dangerous. Mm -hmm. Um, And so one thing that I think is a virtue of looking to the judiciary to exercise some of this tailoring in adjudication, the judiciary, at least in the Anglo-American tradition, is at great pains to try to explain why it's doing what it's doing. Right. And be very clear, as clear as it can be, uh, and to develop consensus in a collegial court, a multi-member court. So you have to have multiple judges who uh, agree with the disposition and hopefully agree with the reasoning. And that exercise of disciplining your explanation uh, is is a way to try to channel effectively this sort of residuum of discretion that I think has to exist. But are, are all rules defeasible by anyone, right? And you're saying there's a special reason to think that the judiciary is a, is a good locus for this exceptional power of defeasibility. And that's a judgment which you're making based on your experience with our system, right? And and, right. and, and the systems around that, that you can imagine where there has to be some adjudication body which gives reasons, right? And certainly, the, and my, my experience of our system includes some uh, awareness of the fact that the absurdity doctrine in statutory interpretation, as an example, has played an important role in uh, ensuring that, that we get all the benefits of these generally worded statutes that are forward-looking and that 
help people plan and guide their well, behavior, yeah. um, but also don't work this sorts of, you know, arbitrary uh, what what the people who frame those statutes would themselves recognize to be arbitrary and and manifestly unjust. Maybe uh, uh, conclusions on some occasions. And of course, of course, there can be mistakes about what that we're not too, getting right? to. Like you know, there there are many many obvious things you can say here, and many people have you know right. that that basically this creates an opportunity for people to get wherever they want to go, right? Yes, so, I this can't power, deny so. that. I said it was dangerous. <laughs> I don't want to elaborate we, on it, but yeah. other than to say that you could imagine other, like you could imagine, this is, this. The, I think it's the the realm of Newgarth where this is occurring, and it's like mm. thousands of years in the future. Right. Suppose that they uphold the death penalty, the hanging. I thought you said we weren't going to get into it. The executive doesn't commute the sentences. Yeah. They show up in the town square. Yeah. Which I'm sure they're like hoverboards and laser swords and stuff. Sure. It's the future. Oh, I hope they're uh, a lightsaber. And, and the executioner removes his or her mask and then says, I refuse to execute and frees the prisoners. Okay. And then people somehow accept this. Yep. And then in later cases, they cite a doctrine, the executioner's privilege. Hmm. It's possible, right? Yeah, I suppose. It's a, so that's, you know, it's a, it's a legal actor. Does not violate the laws of physics. Exactly. So it's imaginable. Whether it violates the law as we, you know, the human law. Yeah. Um, like you said, it doesn't violate the law of physics is a question of whether people accept that, right? This is kind of where we, I was trying to get toward the end, okay. right? Wh- whether there is such a thing as an executioner's privilege depends on people's attitudes toward that actor adopting that as one of his or her powers. It does depend on that and probably some other things too, but it, it's certainly, that's certainly an ingredient in wondering and exactly. figuring out whether it exists. Right. And then other institutions, atti- other, other institutions, attitudes and actions toward the taking of that privilege or exercising that power. And then in the future, this could either be somehow embedded and woven into the law, in which case the power of the executioner as a legal actor, which is an institution capable of pronouncing on things legally and having some decision-making effect will grow, right? Whereas before it had been assumed basically to be, uh, that institution had assumed to be not relevant to saying what the law is in Newgarth, right? Because if the judges had ordered execution and it wasn't commuted, the execution's carried out. Yeah. And so in an important sense, that, that entity is not a decision-making entity under any reasonable model of that legal system. But that could change. That executioner could claim that privilege, could refuse to execute. Other institutions could approve of that claim sure. of that power. And suddenly this becomes an institution whose decision-making is relevant to the rest of the legal system. Yeah, sounds yeah. like Sounds that's like kind of that. where we got at the end, and that's getting closer to the theory I was trying to get at. But I don't know if we're ready to go all the way there. But so that, I only I only we didn't get there before. No, <laughs> yeah, I only raised that because your your point about defeasibility having to exist. You know, there's a question about is that is is that a, is that a deeper moral principle that has to exist, or do you think that inevitably the culture any reasonable culture will insist on defeasibility existing somewhere in the system? In other words, there's got to be someone who can throw the switch. Right. I'm kind of I'm kind of I'm alluding to trolley problems there in a way. Right. You know what I mean? I, I, I think I was I, I was I was certainly. I was certainly making the second claim, and I think I make the second one because I believe the first one to be true as well. In general, that there's a moral there's a moral principle. And that's why there's a felt sense of urgency about the need for the institution. Where the institution is a mechanism for recognizing that the case in front of you points up an absurdity in the way the legal rule had 
heretofore been understood or framed. Let's go to listener Michael's feedback. Ooh. He has some great things to say about the sandwich stuff. Is a burrito a sandwich? Did you see that today on Robot or Not? Yes, they had a, they had a, um, I did listen to Robot or Not today Mm -hmm. because it's Monday. Robot or not. And Um, the question was, is a burrito a robot? robot, But really it was a, is a burrito a sandwich? And, and John Syracuse found that very challenging. Mm Mm-hmm. As anybody would, if you don't know why you're asking the question. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And maybe less so if you do know why. And, but uh, maybe not. Mike had some interesting things to say about whether this kind of purposivist, as he characterizes it, approach to statutory construction can really solve all of our problems. But no, like, no, we, it's funny. Yeah. I, in re, in reaction to that, I was so as I was reading that comment about it, you know, it doesn't solve all. So, so certainly, uh, I I hope I never said that it that it that it does because uh, I don't believe it does. But the the difference to me between I I would rather be having a debate about purposes than dictionaries. Um, not because one can answer questions and one can't, but because one is a, is the I think the more meaningful and helpful questions than the other. Namely, purposes are more helpful and meaningful. Yeah, you're at least talking about the right thing. They're hard. It's hard to do. Yeah, and just like talking about which dictionary to use is hard to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the sense that there will be lots of conflicting claims have to work through them all, figure out why, et cetera, et cetera, just so with purposes. But I think that's a more informative and ultimately sheds more light on having good reasons for what you're doing. And, and pur- we're kind of bundling up a lot of different approaches and, you know, we can do another show about it with, with under this label. Like you could have something which is just more Dworkinian, right? That the statute, which refers to, that regulates sandwiches, is one among many data points right in the in the body of the law and so when you're called upon to determine whether a burrito is regulated by the statute which applies to sandwiches it's not just that you're asking what the purpose is of the regulation you're trying to make the best interpretation of that statute in light of the full body of the law and the way you understand the purpose of that particular regulation of the sandwiches um will have something to do with where you think it fits in with the other things that we do to regulate sandwiches. Now, in- interestingly, listener Grant, to go back for a second, oh, yeah. Had, okay. yeah, on, on the him stuff, on, yeah, yeah. on him part one and two, yep. um, he had expressed a little bit of frustration with our kind of backing into it. You know, the same kind of frustration you felt at the beginning of that yeah. episode. Listening back, I, I thought it actually turned out well. In the you end. did a marvelous editing job. <laughs> the, the frustration that you felt having the conversation, that we both felt having the conversation, actually made for a good conversation listening back to it. Yes, when I listened to it later, I enjoyed it quite a bit more than I enjoyed having it conversation in real time. Yeah, because you know there was a little grinding of the gears, but yeah. sometimes that is how you make progress, right? Fair enough. Boy, if we can only listen back to all the conversations we have, which we don't feel like we enjoy, mm. in, not you and me, I don't but know that I have time for that. More. <laughs> but listener Charlie wrote in, who's not a uh, um, a lawyer uh, yet, at least, yeah, to say that he very much appreciated that approach. He did. Or she? I'm not sure if Charlie's he or she. I'm assuming he, but I don't know. Yeah. Did you see that? I did. So Charlie reported that he was 200 pages into Law's Empire. Kind of understanding, not sure. You read this part of the email, Joe? And then like the the combination of that and our conversation kind of just was like a key in the lock for him, I think. Suddenly he walked around to the right angle from which to view the statue or the painting. And it suddenly had a clarity that it hadn't had before, which is terrific. Yeah. So thanks. Thanks for that. Yeah great to play a part in that 
Listener Heath? Heath had a lot of questions, a lot of issues, a lot of suggestions, a lot of, a lot of things from Kansas. Uh, that's that's true. That's I mean, there are some issues. Well, so, yeah, I mean, does... the fur is really flying in Governor Brownback's empire of crazy town. Um, as well, not to let people know too much about what I think about <laughs> the policy choices being made there, but um, it's not going well. Well, there Kansas, does seem yeah. to be a lot of uh, sort of disputation and people feeling negative. But Heath is an engineer and yes. not not a lawyer, but true. has found some purchase in our podcasts. Like he mentions the sacrifice episode. Um, the, the ones where we talk about the connections between math and law, which come up every now and then yep. and science and law. And, and so he, I thought this part was like interesting and we can talk about it. He says, could we just weight various factors that we say constitute a good society and produce a flourishing society index and then run a regression analysis to find out where to set things like tax types and levels, inflation, interest rates, et cetera. Yeah. What do you, what do you think about that, Joe? You know, there are, it's funny. There are, um, there are such things. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, I think the OECD and there are other organizations that try to do this. The poverty level that we try to set to figure out what income is above and below the poverty level, and the, you, there's a lot of uh, mass measuring of things going on in society uh, to try to get a better handle on directions of things and how to make things better. Mm-hmm. Um, and and all that stuff is as contestable as everything else. So. Yet more generally, I mean, this is the whole idea of a social welfare function. So social welfare function can be an aggregation of many things, including individual preferences, individual welfare functions, which might themselves be the function of individual preferences. And then you can be more paternalistic or not paternalistic. You can build in non-individual things. There are theorems about how social welfare functions have to be constituted, you know, various impossibility theorems, lots of interesting things that we could talk about there. So Economists and, and and even lawyers have thought about these things yeah. before and about their possible uh, their possible content and you know economists in particular uh, if you're trying to maximize just the pie just forget about individuals for a minute you're trying to just grow the pie hoping that you can grow everybody's share by growing the pie do you do that by cutting taxes to the bone or you do do that by increasing taxes on the wealth I mean these are the standard kind of political questions of the day and. Everybody's heard of the Laffer curve and these other right. theories about how counterintuitive theories that if you cut taxes, you actually increase. So, so if the way, I mean, if, yeah. if the question he poses, could we just do this and this and this, if, if you're, if the spirit in which that's being asked is so that we can stop having difficult conversations about contested priorities and contested uh, desires and outcomes, the answer is no, uh, you can't do that as a way to avoid having those difficult conversations. You, what you do is you just relocate the difficult conversations. Now they're about what am I measuring and why am I measuring and how am I adding them and how am I multiplying them and blah, 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 blah. And so, yeah, it's, it's just another some field of, some on of, which... Yeah, some of them are technical questions about how sure. you do it. Some of them are deep moral questions and others you worry about a kind of white coat effect that if you, if you make these things a subject of aggression analyses and everything else, you can kind of hide the difficult moral choices that have been mm. made in determining what the good is, right? Yeah. So, you know, it, it will always come down to a basic question if you know how to do it, and there's some question about like possibility, you know, if, can we actually move the levers that achieve these ends? But if you knew how to do it, would you prefer a pie that's twice as big where most people have a little bit more than they do now, but some people have a lot, 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 lot more because everybody's better off under that one, right? Um, or would you prefer a pie that's slightly smaller, 
but where more people have more benefit, but some of the people at the top have less benefit. Like all these things are kind of hard. And would you prefer, would you prefer a pie that's actually a little bit smaller, but that is divided more equally? Or do you prefer a pie where like no one is in extreme privation, but maybe it's not as big as pies we can make where a few people are? A few thoughts on this in, yeah. in particular that um, because the, the income inequality and wealth inequality discussions that have been going on with, uh, uh, with a lot more, uh, energy and a lot more focus and attention in the last few years um, gets into many questions like the ones you just raised. And, the, and, and specifically, there's a, a guy who worked at Bach named Matt Iglesias, and he often raises questions like you just raised and contrasting various things. And, I, and so, so for, for Heath or other people who think stuff like that is, is fun and interesting, I don't know if you've heard this podcast that Vox puts out now called The Weed. Have you heard of this? I've heard of it. I've not listened to yeah, it. Yeah, it's. I think it's very good. I like it a lot. Uh, in part because I like Matt Iglesias's take on stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. There's stuff in it that I often find myself disagreeing with, but as I'm listening, but it's but it's also very involving and very captivating to me. It's very. I like the way he thinks, and it's about this kind of stuff. So, so Heath might enjoy listening to the Weeds, which is a podcast from Bach. And and just to show, I mean, you know, the the well-known book by Thomas Piketty. Yeah. On rising income inequality mm-hmm. like there's still a lot of debate about yeah. the sources of that how big an effect right um and that's just trying to predict you know whether income inequality will increase or decrease based on various inputs right so we still don't have economists still don't have a perfect map map for us about what happens under with, with right. various so you know uh, the inputs to policy making what will happen uh on the output side that's still not perfectly well known Right. I say that all right? Yeah. I'm just kind of bumbling through. I mean, look, even the even the past is only slightly less difficult to predict than the future. Oof. I mean, Beep. Just hard to measure things. It's hard to explain things. Mm-hmm. So to, there's a degree to which we're just sort of all hopelessly muddling through. It doesn't mean you don't try, but... And that, the, that fact that it's so difficult is what makes it so easy to slip into trying to guess at other people's motives. Hmm. For another time, yeah. Uh, he, he has a couple of more, a couple other things in here. I just wanted to, yeah, uh, visit. So, so one thing he points out, and this is, I've got a show request here, Joe. Oh, I want to okay. get, a, I want us to get a guest on this one. Right. Our state supreme court has made rulings that the legislature has not funded the s- schools to levels mandated in our, con- our state constitution, and the legislature retaliated by trying to take away power from the judiciary. It's a, you, you know, the fight. Yeah, happens yeah, yeah. here in Kansas. Yeah, You're right. But I would like to do a show. So there's a there's a famous supreme court case. Okay. Ruling that um, it doesn't violate. Um, equal protection, I think, right? Was that the basis of it? There may have been a due process challenge in there as well. For states to allocate education funding on the basis of county tax income. Okay. County tax receipts. Even if this has the effect of making poor counties much worse off in terms of school funding than rich counties. This is a... Is it um, Rodriguez versus San Antonio schools? Do I have that right? San Antonio? Mm. I'm not sure. There's also a establishment clause case that has San Antonio schools in it, and I always get them mixed up in my head because the neurons are, you know, they're entangled, Joe. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. And because of this, um, there has never been any kind of federal mandate to equalize funding that comes from judicially enforceable through the constitution. Many state constitutions, but state constitutions, yes, have been interpreted this way. Well, they have provisions that bear directly on the question often. And there are some trade-offs that occur when you start to... As, anyway, I would like to have a show where we do a deeper dive into oh, okay. equality and and quality. Equality and quality of school funding. And th- there's some 
good people writing in this area in education law. Okay. Um, Let's do it. Well, I think we should do that. So let's do it. My thanks to uh, Heath for planting that thought. Then this last point, what are your thoughts on the consequences coming from outside of a legal framework, like public shaming, economic forces, etc.? It seems to me that many people have suffered repercussions on par with legal consequences without the benefit of due process. Do you share these concerns? I, I remember I had a, a teacher in high school who was from Spain, would always kind of complain, you know, when, <laughs> when people uh, would talk about how America was the freest country in the world. Not that he necessarily disagreed that we had, you know, these great freedoms and it's a great place, but especially where we were from would talk with great ignorance about the kinds of freedoms they had in other places. Okay. He would always say, um, why, don't, why don't you try going downtown and telling people you're a communist and then try to find a job? <laughs> right. Right. Which speaks to this point that uh, Heath is making here, right? Freedom is a weird word. Mm. Freedom implies that there is some force from which you are free. And so freedom in the law, right, means freedom from something. And this is, you, so you're going to put aside the complication freedom too, right? You're going to, you're going to put aside the, the sort of the Roosevelt four freedoms kind of, because that's another complication. You don't, you mean, don't even need to get to that complication for this. To, you're not talking about freedom to the sequel, are you? <laughs> <laughs> freedom to the, the no, further freedoming. Freedom <laughs> to, T spelled T-O, and then dot, dot, dot. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm not right now. I, I'm You're just, even back on step one. I'm or, saying even if you think of it as just negative freedoms, you, 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 there are complications. Yes. So one, one example is exactly the example my chemistry teacher gave, right? You, you have the, in some sense, you have the freedom to declare that you're a communist. There are actually cases about how you don't have to swear loyalty oaths to get certain public jobs. But um, declaring that you're a communist, at least in, especially in the 80s, I think, uh, would have made it impossible to get a job in many towns, right? Declaring sure, unpopular sure opinions, right? right? I mean, mm-hmm. we can think of opinions right now that would be unpopular to express. Right. Where you wouldn't want to work with such a person. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's right. My point is only that, that freedom has a, an, an implicit, um, is object the right word? I'm struggling. I'm obviously struggling. I need more coffee, Joe. Okay. But you know what I mean? So, so freedom means freedom from something. Yeah, from some kind of constraint. Right. In addition to two, right, there's also a from. There is necessarily a from. Freedom from the government is one kind of freedom, but freedom from all kinds of other entities which may do things because of the liberty that you've taken is another kind of freedom. Yeah, if you think of yeah. freedom as the absence of coercion, there are all kinds of ways to coerce people. Some of them are the legal system's methods. Some are other systems' methods, social systems. Methods. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I'm, I'm, yes. And I'm just trying to... I just wanted to get out the point that basically when you talk about freedom, which is basically the idea of a privilege, you can do something without consequence that, that always has a, a referent, right? There's always the, the privilege against some entity. Yeah. Free, does it really mean do, freedom doing something without consequence? From, with, with reference to a particular entity and a certain set of consequences. So, mm, okay. so right, you know what I mean? So freedom, right, right, right. Right, freedom is an exception from the idea that you could be subject to some consequence, right? right, right? right. Um, so, you know, you're free to get up and walk outside of this room right now. Yes. Right? Gosh, darn it. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that there are no obstacles in your path. It, uh, that's a shorthand for saying that I am not going to stop you. Right. I'm making a prediction the government is not going to come I'd and like try to, to stop try. you. <laughs> I'd like you to try to stop me. Even well, in my it, weakened state, I think I could get out of that. One way. example I've given in classes before, we've talked about um, uh, w- one famous piece on coercion, is whether law is necessarily freedom constraining, right? This is a kind of naive idea that if, if you're not subject to some constraining law that you are more free. 
Okay. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah, I you guess. Know, yeah. So you got a law which says you can't do X, yeah. right? If you repeal that law, are you more free than you were before? And this, so the point is this shows what I'm about to say kind of okay. shows the, the problem, the problem with a word like free without a reference. Right. Mm, so right, right, in some right. sense, yeah, yeah, you're more free. So suppose there's a law saying you have to stop at stoplights. Okay. Okay. Um, I think there is such a law. Yes. When the stoplight is red. When the stoplight is red. Yeah. Yeah. Or a speed limit law. So take, take your favorite traffic laws, which you think are important. Um, if we repeal those laws, in one sense, you're more free because you no longer have to comply with those laws. Right. You can go really fast. You can blow through stoplights, et cetera, et cetera. But so can everybody else. But so can everyone else. And and the fact is, like, if there are no traffic laws, are you actually free to drive from here to your favorite city? Yeah, maybe not. No. It can be very hard to get there. Right. Because suddenly it's all like, you know, Thunderdome and crazy. Mad Max. Mad Max, which would be awesome. It's all Fury Road. Especially if that guitar guy were there. <laughs> that would be awesome. But maybe less conducive actually to getting to your destination. Right. Right. So freedom is a very slippery, weird word. Free that, word. buddy. <laughs> It's a weird word. And, and so I, I get into this only yeah, because law I think, makes freedom possible, bro. <laughs> is this a bro show now? <laughs> <laughs> Are you familiar with bro country? No, I, I do believe, however, that I have stayed true to my commitment, uh, never to use the word bro unironically because mm. I was being ironic. I got a story about bro country. I'll share bro with you sometime. Country. Okay. That's a yeah. teaser. That's a tease. It's a what? It's a tease. Is it some sort of dating app? No, no, this is a genre of music. Ah. Right. It's a type of country music called bro country. Thanks for that, Heath. And, and, I, and I just wanted to, um, I wanted to go into that kind of, I don't know, sidetrack about, about freedom because it's, it's relevant to the idea that we are under all kinds of constraints, right? The fact that yeah. I want to live and not die constrains the kinds of things I do on the roadway. Absolutely. Just as much as, uh, as or if not more than laws do. Isn't freedom just another word for nothing, nothing left, left to lose? Nothing left to lose. Yeah, yeah, I knew you were going to do it. Okay. <laughs> Couldn't help it. It's been in my hand the whole time. I know you couldn't. Couldn't help it. Uh, Did you see this from listener George about the speed trap law? This is another, I think we linked to the Waze app. I think we, yeah, we've linked to that before. George may be from Canada. Really? Mm -hmm. What makes you say that? Yeah, maybe George could help us figure out whether they have freedom up there. Was it was it just because it was polite and well composed? Uh, George, he mentioned the school that he went to. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if he's Canadian. He also mentions the Slate podcast well, that I was he on. He was with, writing from Canada with fellow Canadian Dahlia Lithwick. Ah, yeah, and she's very delightful. That's she's true. Highly Canadian. So Canada can't be all bad, right? No, I don't. Uh, I think the real Some, question is: Is it any bad? <laughs> Canada's awesome. I have to say, their new premier is uh, an interesting fellow. I also think you know how the, those betting markets were really popular a while ago about to predict like who would be president. This is the, when the wisdom of crowds thing was at its zenith. Yeah. Remember this? And people say, well, you want to know who the president is going to be? You look at these betting markets. Right. right? Uh, the wisdom of crowds is sometimes not all that wise. But yeah. uh, one thing I have taken to is I've been kind of looking every now and then just at Canadian real estate prices. <laughs> and I think they are an indication of the likelihood of a Trump victory. Oh, have they been rising? Not, well, no, I, I haven't looked in the past few weeks, but okay. I, I, think, I think not so much. But when you notice a spike, think about it. That's all I'm yeah, saying. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And that was political corner for today. What's, <laughs> what's <clears throat> the email from listener Asher reminds me that we need to tell people that, that there has been a development in that uh, Johnson retroactivity question that we talked uh, so profitably about with Steve Vladek, which is the Supreme Court has granted review in a case that raises that issue. 
what a great episode that was. That was awesome. Listener Asher takes a lot of issue with some of the things in that show. And yes. uh, Listener Asher also has a blog. If he's posted about this, I might try to link it up in the show yeah. notes. But um, I don't think we're, I'm not going to go into all of that now. But um, I, I want to get Steve back on as soon as possible. And we'll, you know, we put this stuff back at him. We'll see what sure. he thinks. Well, I would, you know what? I would like to uh, have Steve back once the court has heard argument in the case that raises this Johnson retroactivity question. And we've had a chance to listen to the oral argument, which is another, which is an excuse to say we in the past had given people a link to the uh, feed for Supreme Court oral argument uh, audio right. that could get pulled into your podcast app. Like from Overcast. OYA, yeah. Um, from OYA.org, I guess is where it comes That's from. That's where my feed comes yeah, from. It. And, and now um, I've got it in Overcast. It's awesome. Yeah. And, I'm, and I've been listening to, uh, you know, if, you, if you're a podcast type of person and you enjoy listening to stuff and you're into this law stuff. I've been listening to the court's arguments and, and I don't listen to all of them all the way through Mm -hmm. by any means, but I do listen to bits and pieces of most of them. And I just, I, you know, I don't know. I guess I'm a dork and a law dork and whatever, but I just feel like you listen to this stuff. I just feel like these are advocates who are at the top of their game. I think the justices are for the most part, very serious and probing and, and trying to figure out what to do and how these things fit together. And the issues are enormously complicated and they're, they're, they're lively and they're in, uh, you know, I just think it's a marvel and people should listen to it. <laughs> it's funny you say that because with my Supreme court discussion group, we discussed two cases last week, the Fisher affirmative action case uh-huh. and the Evanwell case. This is the one where there's a challenge to, um, drawing districts of relatively equal population right. of people rather than just voters. Yeah. And both of these cases are ridiculous. <laughs> the, law- <laughs> the lawyering is fine, but what a complete waste of time. Complete waste of time uh, in terms of the court just, using its institutional yes. time to hear the cases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I'm making a different point. Which I know is you that, are. Yeah. You know, when give, once they take a case and as they're trying to process it uh, and having the advocates and hearing the argument, listening to the questions and thinking about it, um, I just think it's a, a great it is. resource and, I'm just I, saying sometimes and I've been you, getting a lot from listening to them and I would encourage other people to listen to them as well. I'm just saying sometimes you listen to a case and, and it can, you can hear parts of it that are very interesting, but you can wonder yourself, boy, why did they take that case? Sure. Which is another way to say if you and I were in charge of picking which 90 cases they were going to hear in any given term, the list would not look the same as it looks today. That's undoubtedly true. You know, it's interesting because, you know, I have said many times that you can measure the quality of a society or institution by the kinds of questions it deems worth its time to answer, right? Indeed. So you look at, you know, our presidential politics right now. What are the issues? What does that say about us that these are the issues? That sort of thing, right? Right, right. And that's even, you know, that's more real and more concrete for the Supreme Court where the cert power is kind of everything, right? Yeah. It's true. These are the issues, which it's important for us to, and they're not all circuit splits. Right. Um. And so when the court, we've talked about this before, I think in the context of the, um, what was Obamacare too? King against Burwell. Burwell, Burwell, yeah. King against Burwell. So, you know, with these cases, it's like, well, so these are the, these are the, these are the questions that which are worth answering. And these are the questions which present like challenges that we should spend, you know, I don't know, make any sense? Yeah. I don't know. Do we want to talk about listener Joel and originalism? And I, the- I, listen, you're skipping over listener Xander and Roy Moore's latest antics. Oh, indeed. Do you even I, want to talk about that? Well, I, you know, what is I, there, I enjoy getting the email, but do you want to mention it on the show? I, I, what is there to say? Um, 
you know, it, it, there, there, uh, Howard Wasserman, um, and I forget who his co-author is on this, but the, there have been steps along the way where Chief Justice Moore of Alabama uh, and his insistence on carefully delineating who is, uh, whose conduct is covered by a judicial order and whose conduct isn't. And this is in the context of Obergefell and same-sex marriage. Right. And, and Howard Wasserman, and, and, uh, who's done a lot of posts about this on Prof's blog and, and a co-author, they've written paper about it. You know, there's stuff where people have been too quick to condemn uh, Roy Moore's uh, defiance uh, as lawlessness. I think, I think uh, this latest round of silliness um, is also lawless, uh, unlike some of the earlier silliness which was just imprudent, um, in my view. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Roy Moore, what are you going to be? What are you well, going I mean, to Z- say? Xander asks, are the consequences for his decision to defy Obergefell different because of the 11th Circuit decision directly on point? Well, yes. And I, 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 my, my understanding is that the probate judges in Alabama who are defying the 11th Circuit's judgment that the injunction that's been put in place by the district court, you know, they're all now going to be staring at Damages action. But does the 11th Circuit decision add to this? So there's an 11th Circuit case explicitly stating that Obergefell applies to Alabama. It leaves in place an injunction from a U.S. District Court judge yeah. who made her order effective against all Alabama probate court judges. Right. So it extended by, by embracing all of them, basically treating it as a class action, not a class action, a reverse class action. Yeah. Treating it as so it applies to all of them not just the judge who was refusing to issue a license of particular incident. Right. Leaving that injunction in place on the ground that to remove it would contravene Obergefell, I mean, it makes the law perfectly clear now for these judges. And and Chief Justice Moore, in his administrative capacity in the Alabama state court system, has given them a conflicting order, which is just sort of a, a very foolish thing to do, because now they have to decide which order to follow, and it's clear which Is there one... anything that distinguishes Obergefell from Loving versus Virginia in this regard? I mean, I, I think he claims the same power, right? Right. You'd have to wait for individual judgments about his power to instruct them. Right, although that, and it would have the an, same, an and I think judgment. the argument would have the same defect in its current posture, which is, that was true up until the moment when the district court judge extended the, the, the injunction to cover all of these probate court judges. Yeah. And then that was appealed by one of them to the 11th Circuit. And the 11th Circuit said, actually, we see no problem here. Mm-hmm. Once that happens, then, yeah, there's nothing. I think there's nothing more to be. Yeah, I think once Obergefell comes down, there's nothing more to say. This is a huge waste of time. Well, this is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, okay. Uh, Joel, listener Joel from Australia. Yeah. Let, let me just so I think you'll like this first paragraph. I, I like the whole thing. So I've been listening, dear Christian and Joe. I've been listening sometimes two or three times to some of your back catalog. That's awesome, isn't it? It is great. Um, over these quiet weeks of our summer, which of course there occurs now. Yeah. Um, my partner, who is very partial to knitting and to knitting podcasts. Yay! Did you know there were knitting podcasts? You know, I I I did know that. Um, and I listened to one for a little while, mm-hmm. uh, and it didn't, it wasn't doing it for me. So I took it out of the rotation, but is it people talking or is it just the sound of like, it's people talking needles. about knitting related stuff. 
He's okay. <laughs> um, so I, I would. Love, I can see that would be relaxing. Yeah. Me just listening to the sound of knitting needles. I would, and, but I'm making the sound if I'm knitting, so I don't need to hear someone else making that sound. But I would love to. I would love to get a a recommendation on a knitting podcast. If someone wants to email it to us at oralargumentpodcast at gmail.com. I would welcome a recommendation. Her interest was piqued by the prospect you might include a segment on the fiber arts, Knitting with Joe. Yay! The inclusion of such a segment will not increase my commitment to listening, but I wanted to alert you to the possible crossover audience you might be neglecting. So I could start, we could start a whole new, we need to start a whole new podcasting empire. <laughs> like like all these networks of yeah. you know like five by five and that um, was that was the original that's the original mind, but yeah. what's the uh panoply yeah. and you know we need to have our own and and, and one of its There's flagship properties yeah. is going to be knitting with joe <laughs> people would listen to that we could have hold up we could we could trot that one out yes we could do this show yeah so we um, got three boom so that's three right away. I've got a right bunch away. of other ideas too. Looks like we haven't even we haven't even broken a sweat. We got three. I also had this idea that you and I should do a series of podcasts for every Supreme Court decision where we sum it up in like three minutes. Oh, that'd be great. Joe, then me, and boom, done. <coughs> I love we, that. We could roll for initiative, actually. We can what? We could roll for initiative. Is that some kind of D and D thing? Yeah. 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 That, that to who goes first? Oh, okay. Right. A higher roll goes first. All you right. know, with modifiers, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's do that. What are we going to call that one? The three minute um, summary judgment. Oh, ba boom, ba bam. <laughs> summary judgments. Yeah, plural. Summary Wait, judgments. I, I need some. You know, look, <laughs> I I would need some help. Three to get minutes. All this done. Or four. I, I need to get people. I need to have some other editors because otherwise it's gonna. <laughs> unless I quit my job and devote full time to oh, podcasting. Oh, that goes without saying. We're quitting our jobs. <laughs> this is much more. This podcast network is much more important, dude. <laughs> We are reaching Come a lot of, on. we've encouraged people to go to law school on this thing before, right? This is like, the. I, so we're already to blame we're for gonna open lots of bad decision making, thing, I think. So but, we can start getting, people can start funding our, our desire to <laughs> create a new podcast empire. Uh, listener Joel, to paragraph the two. version of this episode. Paragraph what? two. I've noticed that Christian often talks of the refounding, or I think I say reframing, maybe I say refounding too, though. Uh, or something of that sort, and the significance of the passage of the post-Civil War amendments. He seems to be attributing some substantial weight to the views of the framers of these amendments or the public at the time of their passage. Yeah, and I, I often do that, and it is a, um, where does he say? Late, he, well, I, I'm, I'm, an interested, I'm an interested outside observer of debates over U.S. constitutional interpretation, and I'm aware of the power of the conservative originalist movement. I'd say not only conservative, there's some, I, this is why I really want to do an originalism episode, because there are different kinds, and yeah. Um, boy, Larry Solon would be the right person for that, right? He's written a certainly great one of them. Certainly I mean, one of them. Yeah. yeah. This use of refounding seems to me to be a counter move by Christian, and from that point of view, I understand it. I also accept that the thirteenth, fourteenth, and fifteenth amendments marked a dramatic turn in the U.S. constitutional framework. Nonetheless, it seems hard to defend heavy reliance in constitutional interpretation on an originalist understanding of these amendments for the same reasons as one might critique Justice Scalia's originalism. Those are, at the least, the following. Precision is, in history is difficult. Originalism of any sort ossifies a document which has, on any view, been adapted to new social circumstances over the centuries. And it fails to recognize that there are layers of original meaning in a document amended more than two dozen times, with considerable interplay between its constitutional amended parts. Um, I, I, look, I've never a, mentioned this refounding idea because you think originalism is easier with respect to those amendments than respect to some other portion of the document, do you? Um, well, I hadn't thought of it in those terms. I do think, I, I that think, seems to be, I think if one wanted to be an originalist, 
if one is an originalist, I think there are certain aspects of originalism, its method, which are more easily applied to those because they're more recent in time and they're more more data than certainly some other parts but of the Constitution. Well, it's the more data point that's important, not the not the more recent in time. I, I would say right. more, hmm. it's it's stuff about which we well, have more data about the semantic meaning, right? The more recent in time means you know we've talked about the past as a foreign country before. Yep. More recent in time makes it slightly less foreign. Um, ah, okay. but 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 there 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 is also more more historical data in general. But I'm not sure that there's more. Um, you know, we have a lot of data about the people involved in the framing of the Constitution. We have the Federalist Papers, and so we do have a lot from the from the original kind of founding. Well, I say framing era. Right. Uh, so I don't want to make a claim here. I'm not a story. I don't, I'm not going to make a claim about whether there is more legal data or that, whether there are more legal data. In, you know, um, Can I share the thought I had in reaction to this? Uh, yeah, go ahead. So, so one thing that was interesting um, to me is that the way our amendment tradition has developed is that we tack more words on the end mm-hmm. uh, rather than revise document. Well, and and okay, the amendments, uh, the Reconstruction Amendment, uh, I think their power, their full power is impossible to recognize unless you accept the degree to which their presence rewrites in effect a lot of what was already there Mm -hmm. Uh, even though we didn't go to the trouble of rewriting it right um conceptually it has to be rewritten Mm -hmm. Uh, and indeed that is a a lot of what happened uh in the incorporation debate for example and incorporation by the way is the the name for the doctrine that um the the bill of the at least most of the bill of rights freedom of speech etc uh now applies to the states as yeah, well as yeah their constraints the, on state government not as well as the federal government, government. Yeah. um and but but um and that was a that was a judicial that was a jurisprudential thing that had to be worked through mm-hmm. uh but um i i just think it's interesting that we that we don't and and what would it be like if we did to revise amend the document by revising it like you want to add some new stuff okay We'll do that, but we also have to cross out some things that are made inapplicable, yeah. or we have to. We're going to add that. We're going to have to add this other stuff too. Like we right. don't have a process like that, and I think that's fascinating. That is interesting, and yeah, I, had, I hadn't thought of it in quite those terms. I, I would say that I'll just respond to whether it's a counter move on my part. Ah. I, I hadn't intended it exactly as as a counter move, although I, I am irritated when I see purely originalist, uh, when I see originalist argument, say about federalism, for example, that references only framing era data. Right. Um, and ignores the, yeah. For exactly the reasons that you talk about, right? Right. Um, the, that, that implicit, the implicit ideas of federalism, the theoretical structure of federal, federalism put in place at the framing era when we just had the original constitution complete with three-fifths clause and all. Right. That was completely, that the whole idea was altered uh, in the in the reframing and uh, at Reconstruction, the Reconstruction Amendments yeah. altered those, not least of which through the um, grant to Congress of the power to enforce the 14th Amendment, the right. Equal Protection Clause. And I mean, the, the entire reconceptualization of, of the citizens' relationship to the national government and to state government um, that to, to overthrow Scott against Stanford and, and the Reconstruction Amendments that, that mm-hmm. did that, um, that has implications. Or all these other 
for federalism and separation of powers and all. I mean, of course. So right? even even if you don't accept, so if uh, you ignore all this stuff, you're like, wait a minute, that's like right. that's a huge development. So even if you don't accept a, a living constitutionalist theory or a full kind of constitutional moments theory that there are that history more broadly is relevant to interpretation of the constitution and not just um, the data about passage of particular text. Uh, I think you have to you have to reg- you have to look at all of the data relevant to the passage of the relevant text, and so part of the reason I sometimes do that is to is as a reminder, right, that this was a foundational moment, as much a foundational moment. In fact, I think the more important one. I think I said it before on the podcast, right, that most of well, speaking of freedom, most of what we take is our our freedoms as Americans. You know, your freedom of speech, all of these things, like these are secured by the Fourteenth Amendment, mm-hmm. right? I, most of what we think of as freedom comes from this. So uh, I, th- I think that when you're when you're talking about foundational documents, you, foundational um, uh, data uh, and foundational text, you've got to look at the reframing as well. So so part of it is a is a counter move against what I would think of as a, as a lazy originalism. Of course, not all originalism is lazy, which is why I want to do a show about it, because I think it's a fascinating um, yeah. issue. Um but but the other thing I would have to say here is that I do I'm even though I'm not an originalist I do think that history matters right I, I am interested in why people wrote these words right not because I think that by interpreting by by properly channeling their reasons we answer all the questions that come before us like that's what makes me not an originalist I don't believe that right I don't think that 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 study will answer all of the questions but then there are some people who are originalists who don't believe that either right they believe that sometimes you have to use construction etc we'll sure. get into that. Right. Um, but I do think that understanding their reasons, understanding, um, as Jed Rubenfeld has referred to before, kind of the paradigm cases that the text was meant to deal with, all of this can be very helpful in understanding what we've come through and why we have the legal documents that we have yeah. and how we might use them, uh, to secure ourselves against the evils of the past and to deal with the problems of the future. So it's partly a counter move in the sense that I'm trying to remind, you know, I would like to remind people that there isn't just one set of framers. I think that's really important. Yeah. But also, I think even if you're not an originalist, understanding these um, two, and you can use the New Deal as a third, but that was not a, a textual moment in the Constitution, but that there are two deep constitutional textual moments is really important. Uh, I, th- I think that's worth noting, even if you're not an originalist. I agree. That's what I had to say. Okay. That's all I have to say about that. All right. Say. Not, that's not all I have to say, but that's all anyone wants to hear from me. About and, that. And, and more. That's much more than is required. <laughs> <laughs> and does that bring us to the end of our mailbag? I think it does. I think that exhausts the mailbag. And if we missed you, hey, if you've got, if you wrote into us, um, and we have some stuff on social media too, and I don't think I've got all that in front of me. Um, we usually deal with that show by show, but so if you've written into us and you've had an idea and I haven't dealt with it, um, or, uh, or Joe hasn't dealt with it, yeah, write write us again. Let us know. It's sheer incompetence on our part that has obscured that fact. I, there was one on Facebook um, about uh, surnames in Japan. Oh, let's mention this one again. It was a great bit of feedback on surnames in Japan. You mean and family? This. Yes, but I, I I'm using your preferred nomenclature. But no, we, I we, I relented. We compromised, didn't we? We did compromise. <laughs> um. I, I feel like we should save that one for another time, but oh, okay. it was a great bit of feedback and it was a while ago now from yeah. a, from a listener. It was really informative though, from someone who had, um, I think either from there or spent some time there. Now, I, now I'm forgetting cause it's been a while and you know, my memory, you know what I mean? Yeah. What else should we talk about, Joe? I think that's it. Really? I think so. 
think we've reached the end of my voice for today. Oh, that's a good reason to stop.